What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Malari. So tonight, I'm going to recap what happened in the Bean Pot last night in the semifinal games. Uh, first one, obviously, was BC versus Harvard. I mentioned that yesterday, live on air, live on air here in WZBC. And then I also talked about uh, a preview for the Northeastern versus BU game, which was a nightcap uh, game last night, eight o'clock. Northeast ended up getting a big win last night, three to one over BU, and then BC lost a heartbreak, which they make actually. Made a great comeback. They were down 3-1, to one, made a 3-3, three, three, uh, still lost in 4-3, though, in overtime, unfortunately, to Harvard. This is actually the first Beanpot final ever. So there's now 70 Beanpot finals. This will be the 70th one. It took until the 70th Beanpot final for Harvard and Northeastern to meet in the finals of a Beanpot tournament. Just think about that. 70 tournaments it took for Harvard versus Northeastern to be a Beanpot final. Obviously, it shows how dominant that BU and BC have been. Clearly, BU, the most historic program in the Beanpot history, having 31 titles, and then BC has 20, and Harvard has 11, Northeastern has 7. Both of those teams combined to just 18 between the two programs, 18 titles between Northeastern and Harvard, and that's not even more than BC, who has 21, then obviously Harvard, uh, who has 20, and then obviously BU as well, who has 31. So... You look at it, obviously, it shows how dominant those two other programs are. And then, obviously, now on the rise, Northeastern's won three of the last four Beanpot tournaments. Harvard has not won since 2017. Now they find themselves back in the Beanpot final for the first time since then. So, pretty encouraging for Harvard. For BC, though, they haven't won a Beanpot final since 2016. They haven't been in a Beanpot final game since 2019. They've only made the Beanpot final once since winning in 2016. So, BC's got to find themselves back in the Beanpot final, and obviously last night was a chance to get themselves back there, and they ended up falling short. But BC played a lot better in the third period. Uh, the first two periods was dominated by Harvard for the most part. One thing Harvard did in that game was they limited mistakes, and that's one thing BC didn't do. Some turnovers in the neutral zone that didn't really help BC at all. Uh, Harvard scored right away. I mean, the first 10 seconds of the game, the first shift, Harvard had a goal right away. And even though it was taken back for too many men on the ice by Harvard's offense, you never want to see a goal in the first 15 seconds. I mean, even though it was taken back, that's still momentum. A goal in the first 15 seconds is momentum no matter which way you look at it. And so right away, BC finds themselves down one nothing. even though it ends up getting taken back. It's 0-0. BC never really found their footing until about the third period. Uh, it was 2 nothing though. Uh, in the second period, when Mike Posma scored a goal for BC on the power play, made it 2-1, to one, which one thing I mentioned yesterday was that if BC wants to win this game, they have to take advantage of mistakes by Harvard. You have to take advantage of mistakes. Harvard's number five in the country in penalties per game. They're fifth best in limiting penalties per game. So if Harvard makes a mistake, BC has, has to, has to, has to take advantage. And they did that. I mean, they scored a goal on one of the two power plays that they had, which isn't bad. Harvard scored on both their power plays. Two power plays for Harvard. They scored on both of theirs. They were leading going into the third period, 3-1. to one. BC got a couple goals, one from Nikita Nestorenko with about four minutes to go in the third period. Had a great goal, assisted by Lucas Gustafson and Oscar Jelvik. Uh, and then BC got another goal from Cutter Godier, the fifth pick in the draft. Uh, this time was from Trevor Kuntyre and Andre Gasso. Uh, with about a minute and a half to go, BC tied it up and made it 3-3. Three to three. Uh, Going into overtime, BC didn't really uh, take too many chances. Where They were playing more conservative. I think Harvard is playing conservative too 
in that fourth period, I would in the overtime period, so technically the fourth period, both schools seem like played a little conservative. Harvard only taking two shots on goal. BC only taking two shots on goal. But BC overall took 48 shots on goal, including nine shots on goal in the game from Nikita Nesterenko. 48 total for BC in the game. They had nine shots on goal from Nikita Nesterenko, including seven in the third period. They had four in the third period from Cutter Godier. Seven overall for Godier in the night. Kobe Ambrosio, who had a tough finish to the game, uh, had five shots on goal total. Overall in the night, BC lit up shots on goal uh, with 48. Harvard only had 25. They did score, though, four goals in the 25 shots on goal overall. BC scoring just three goals on their 48 shots on goal. And you got to give credit where it's due. Mitch Gibson played great in net for Harvard. 45 shots faced with three goals allowed, saving 42 of 45 shots, which was obviously uh, pretty impressive. 45 shots saved on 48 shots, excuse me there. And then for Mitch Gibson in net for BC, uh, Mitch Benson, excuse me, the other Mitch, Mitch Benson in net for BC uh, had 21 shots saved on 25 shots faced. Not his best night, but considering all in all, uh, one of the goals really wasn't his fault. He was getting screened by a BC defenseman. And then obviously that goal in, in overtime where it's a three-on-three overtime period. That's what college hockey is now. And you look at what was on the ice, obviously three-on-three. Harvard didn't use their speed at all in overtime. I don't know why they didn't. They just chose to really let the overtime period run out until they got a rush with about eight to ten seconds to go. They went down the ice three-on-three, three-on-two. They had an opportunity. And you look down the ice, Kobe Ambrosio's dogging it back to the defensive zone. No back check at all from him there. And Harvard gets a game and a goal with one and a half seconds to go, which is devastating. You don't want to lose in a situation like that. Uh, so all in all, credit to Harvard, though, even though they really don't have too many fans in attendance, which I'm sure they'll bring more now next week, considering they'll be in the finals game for the first time since winning in 2017. And it's always obviously their first time playing Northeastern and up being part finals. Historic night overall next Monday night will be, uh, which that game will be televised on Nesson at 730. Credit to Harvard the way they played. The first two periods they dominated. In the third period, BC dominated in shots on goal 22-2 in shots on goal in the third period. Harvard went completely conservative in the third period. Even in the second period, I mean, BC dominated shots on goal 18-12. But that third period was dominated by BC in shots on goal. But credit to where it's due. Harvard won the faceoffs. I mean, outright all night were just dominating in faceoffs. John Farinacci, who's friends with my friend Matt, who goes to Harvard, brother of the legend Mark Walsh. Farinacci was unreal in faceoffs. 18 of 25 faceoffs, he's, he won. Baker Shore won 13 of 17. And then Matt Coronado, who did have two goals in the game, two of four Harvard's goals were from Coronado. He won 11 of 23 faceoffs. BC struggled 23 faceoffs. They won in 66 attempts. All in all, on the night, though, BC, three goals, two of them coming in the third period in the last five minutes to go. And then obviously Harvard gets the game-winning goal in the fourth period with just a minute, or under in the last minute, with a second and a half to go uh, and end up winning the game and sending themselves to the Beanpot final next week. And now that brings me to the game between Northeastern and BU last night. Northeastern split with BU in the regular season this year, 1-1, one and one, winning the game at Aganis Arena and then losing at Matthews Arena. So they split, both of them winning their away games. But Northeastern ended up getting out to a hot start last night. Aiden McDonough scored uh, in the with six minutes to go in the first period, which I mentioned yesterday. Aiden McDonough has to get going. And I talked about both games, right? I previewed both games. I said, all right, what each team needs to do to win. What Harvard needs to do 
is limit their penalties, which they've been great at. They did have two penalties, but they've been good at their power play. And they scored in two of two power play opportunities. For BC, I said limit penalties, which they only had two on the night. Wasn't their worst night. And also, not let Harvard control the pace of play. That's what I talked about with BU. I said, you do not want BU to control the pace of play. And Northeastern last night dominated the pace of play in my eyes. Dominated the pace of play. And what BC did well in yesterday was in the third period, dominated the pace of play. The first two periods, even though they were getting a lot of shots on goal, I mean, not all of them were really quality shots. Third period, I mean, they were getting great shots on goal, including two that scored to tie the game uh, in the last few minutes of the game in regulation. But as to Northeastern, I said they have to start out hot. They have to set up Aiden McDonough on a power play. McDonough scored in uh, an even strength goal, but right, you know, no matter what, may, what it may be, a goal is a goal. Northeastern will take it. He scored with six minutes to go in the first period, uh, assisted by Vinny Borghese uh, and also Jack Williams. And then Yakov Novak, a minute 48 seconds into the second period, scored a goal for Northeastern. Big goal there for him, assisted by Jack Hughes and Jeremy Bushler. Matt Brown scored for uh, BU with just about two minutes to go, uh, assisted by Lane Hudson and Dominic Fensori, two guys I mentioned yesterday. I also mentioned Matt Brown as well. And then rookie freshman defenseman for Northeastern got an empty net goal with 30 seconds to go in the third period, winning Northeastern the game 3-1. to one. And now if you look at my predictions, right, I, I wasn't going to make predictions, but I said, you know what, I'm going to make a prediction. It's my last bean pot final or semifinal, that is. Why not make a prediction? My prediction was... Northeastern winning the game 3-1, to one, being up 2-1 to one with an empty net goal in the last minute. And that's exactly what happened. Northeastern winning the game 3-1. to one, And I also said Devin Levi has to dominate in the net. And that's what he did. I said Northeastern has to limit their penalties, which they didn't do. They still had four penalties. I said BU has to limit their penalties. BU did limit their penalties. They only had two. But neither team scored in their respective power plays. But if you look at Charlton and goal, Northeastern had 29. BU had 34. Devin Levi had 33 saves on 34 shots faced, including 15 shots faced in the third period. He saved 15 of 16 shots faced in the third period with 15 saves in that last period of regulation. And I mentioned the players on Northeastern that had to have good games. Who had good games? Aiden McDonald. We'll start with him. Great game from, excuse me, great game from Aiden McDonald. Had a great game. That's what Northeastern needed. Senior captain, they need a big game out of him, and that's what they got. McDonald was all around... Uh, out there on the ice, you could feel his presence all night. He only had one goal, but in, in no assists. Obviously, uh, the assists on the night went to Bushler, Williams, Borgesi, and also Jack Hughes as well. But McDonough has been great all year setting up the offense. And even though he only had you know a goal, which is which was huge to get Northeastern going, he's got a lot of assists this year setting up guys around him. He's not just nipping shots anymore. He's looking for other people around him, and his presence was felt all night. He did have some quality shots. A goal, he had three shots on goal on the night, scoring on one of them. And then also Northeastern's defense stopped BU and, and played, I would say it was different than the way they played BU earlier in the year. Because the way they played BU earlier in the year, they let BU dominate the pace of play. And even though Northeastern won one of the games and split the other one and lost the other game in OT, they let BU dominate the pace of play. And that's what Northeastern didn't do last night. Northeastern didn't let BU dominate the pace of play. Honestly, it felt like... Northeastern, after they scored that first goal by Aiden McDonough, they dominated the pace of play and dominated the, their presence on the ice. I, you just had a feeling that this was Northeastern's night. When they went up 1-0, I said, all right, they have to start out hot, and that's exactly what they did. It just felt like the puck was in Northeastern's hand all night, or 
on their stick all night. Even though BU won and shot to go 34-29, Devin Levi had some acrobatic saves. He had a great night. It just seemed like Northeastern was going to win that game. And so all in all, Northeastern wins that game 3-1, to one, and they'll be facing Harvard for the first time in the Beanpot Final. It took 70 years for that to happen, but lo and behold, here we are in the 70th Beanpot and me and Mark Walsh actually met up for the game yesterday. Uh, I went to get lunch with him around 1.30. I didn't have class yesterday, so ended up meeting up with him earlier in the day. Got lunch at 1.30, and as we were sitting at Tasty Burger, we were talking to a guy who was rooting for Harvard in Northeastern. Uh, he was unaware that they've never been a Beanpot final matchup. He said, oh, that's going to happen tonight then. He said, that's what I'm rooting for. And credit to him on that. He was right. Uh, that was exactly what happened. That was a Beanpot final matchup. We talked a little football with him as well. Uh, he's rooting for the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. He doesn't like the Chiefs at all. As a Giants fan, you really can't root for the Eagles. I do respect uh, how far they've come, though, and I do like some players on that team like James Bradbury and uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Darius Slay as well. But I can't root for the Eagles in the Super Bowl considering I'm a Giants fan. I do respect the Eagles, though, and I'm hoping for a foot- good football game. I'm going to preview the Super Bowl as well. I'll probably do a whole preview of the Super Bowl, whether it's tonight or on a podcast upload uh, later in the week. We'll see where we get to tonight. Uh, with the Subo being Sunday, I may do one maybe Saturday, just right before game time, and give my full predictions then. But as for Northeastern versus Harvard next week, they've played each other once this year, and Northeastern got absolutely walloped in that game. Harvard's a top-10 team in the country, so anytime you travel to them and they're at their home arena, uh, you're obviously going to be uh, playing a game where you're going to be down advantage-wise with Harvard playing so well all year at home. Northeastern found themselves down in the game at one point, 6-3, to three, or 7-3, and three, that is, before Jack Hughes got a goal to make it 7-4 in the third period. But the reason why I mention that is because it really wasn't a game at all. It was 3 to nothing. Then Northeastern made it 3-3. Three to three. Then after that, Harvard scored the next four goals between the second period with five minutes to go and the third period with about 13 minutes to go. It was 7-3 with... 13 minutes to go, and it just really wasn't a game. Even though Northeastern tied it, getting three consecutive goals from Gunnar Wolf-Fontaine, Aiden McDonough, and Matthew Pani in the second period, all within a four-minute stretch. They tried, They made it 3-3, and then over the next five to seven minutes or 12 minutes overall, Harvard scored four goals between that second and third period stretch, making that game 7-3, winning the game overall 8-4. to four. Uh, and that just was not Devin Levi's night. Levi struggled in net, and that was probably his worst game of the season overall. He did struggle against Western Michigan, but overall, Levi giving up eight goals in 34 shots faced, uh, only had 26 saves on the night, and only had five saves in the first period, giving up, what is that, two goals in the first period on seven shots faced. It was not Levi's night, and that's one thing that Harvard does well, just like BU. They dominate the pace of play. And I was concerned with the way BU... Played against Northeastern earlier in the year. They dominated the pace of play. And that's what I said Northeastern has to do. They cannot let BU dominate the pace of play. And that's what Northeastern didn't do last night. Harvard, in their OT period against BC, even in the third period, they let BC dominate the pace of play. And BC had a ton of rushes in, in scoring opportunities. And so going into next week, one thing Northeastern has to do is not let Harvard dominate the pace of play. And Harvard's not going to make many mistakes. They will not make many mistakes. They're fifth best in college hockey in limiting penalties per game. And Northeastern's in the bottom 20 in limiting penalties per game. So it's vice versa. Northeastern has to limit their mistakes, which they didn't really do last year. They still have four penalties, which is right there with their season average. But as for Harvard, they've been playing with such a great pace besides that third period yesterday. And that's what Northeastern has to do. If Harvard wants to win this game, 
They have to dominate the pace of play like they've been doing. Get more shots on goal. Last night, they were outshot by BC heavily in that game, actually. Uh, 46 or 48 to 25, uh, BC outshot Harvard. So by 23 shots, BC outshot Harvard. And that's what you can't do. You don't want to give up too many opportunities. And even though B, uh, BC's opportunities weren't really as many great shots, you still don't want a team to get 48 shots on goal against you, especially when you only have 25. So that's one thing they have to tone it down with. As for BU, they did outshoot Northeastern 34 to 29 last night, which even with that being said, Northeastern still gets the win at the end of the day, and you obviously want to win. Same thing with Harvard. Even if you get outshot to the degree they both did, a win's a win at the end of the day, and that's most important always. As for BU last night, they led in shots on goal 34 to 29. One thing that Northeast has to do tomorrow is not let, or next Monday that is, not let Harvard dominate in shots and goal and in pace of play. Because Harvard last night let BC just rip shots and they were comfortable with playing a conservative defense and just letting uh, Gibson in net have a good game. And that's what they did and it worked out for them. They ended up winning the game 4-3 to three in overtime. But the strategy for Northeast next week has to be do not let Harvard dominate the pace of play, limit mistakes, Get going early, score early, and score the first goal of the game. If you don't score the first goal of the game, score the second, and let Devin Levi go to work. And it's kind of similar to their strategy last night. And as for Harvard, I mean, they're probably going to play conservative defense, but use their speed and get quality shots on goal. They probably will go quality shots on goal rather than quantity. That's what they did last night. Rather than shooting 10 okay shots on goal, they'd rather shoot five shots on goal, with three of those being excellent opportunities. That's probably what they're going to do tomorrow night as well. So we'll see what they do uh, in that game, or Monday night, excuse me, uh, next Monday night at the TD Garden. Uh, I'll give some predictions for that maybe later in the week, but as of now, I'm going to go with Northeastern winning this game. Northeastern lost them 8-4 to four in the regular season. They're going to be hungry to get revenge, and Northeastern's been great winning three of the, four, three of the last four Beanpot Tournament Finals. I'm going to go with Northeastern winning that game 3-2. to two. I think Northeastern has to keep, just like I said last night, if Northeastern wants to beat BU, they have to keep BU under three shots, uh, under three shots scored on the night. And that's what they had to do. They had to sh- hold BU to two goals or less, and that's what they did. I said to BC, if they want to beat Harvard, they have to hold Harvard to two goals or less. BC ends up giving up four goals, they lose. Northeastern gives up less than two goals, they win. I'm going to go with Northeastern winning this game next week, three to two. You have to hold Harvard to two goals or less, and that way you can get a win in the Beanpot final next week uh, and win the fourth of their last fifth. Uh, Beanpot final. If the Northeastern were to win next week, it would be four of the last five Beanpot finals wins for Northeastern. So now I'm going to move on uh, from the Beanpot, and I'm going to talk about some NBA news. Kyrie Irving being traded from the Brooklyn Nets to the Dallas Mavericks. I'm going to talk about what the package looks like, talk about what some other packages looked like across the NBA, and then also give my thoughts about the trade overall and how I feel about Kyrie Irving. I'm going to do that in just one second, and then get back with you guys in just about 30 seconds. So Kyrie Irving was traded, and now I'm going to break down the package, for Spencer Dinwiddie, who now returns to the Brooklyn Nets, Dorian Finney-Smith, a second-round pick in 2027, a first-round pick in 2029 that was unprotected, and also a 2029 second-round pick. So Brooklyn gets Dinwiddie, Finney-Smith, two second-round picks, and an unprotected first-round pick in 2029, and the Brooklyn Nets will be sending Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris to the Dallas Mavericks, all in all, that's a trade package with two first round or two second round picks. That is a first round pick, Finney Smith, and then also Dinwiddie being the package going to the Brooklyn Nets with Irving and Morris going to the Dallas Mavericks. And I'm going to break down 
the whole tenure for Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. And everyone knows Kyrie Irving. I mean, he's always in the media for something, whether it was the vaccine situation, his anti-Semitic comments, his ability just to quit on teams and quit on the Cavaliers and request a trade, just like the Celtics saying he's going to stay in Boston and then leaving, just like he's stomping on the lucky logo at the Celtics game. Kyrie Irving's been all over the place in the media over the last five years. And that's one thing you know about Kyrie Irving. He's going to be a distraction. Whether he's skipping Brooklyn Nets games and not telling the coaching staff that he's not going to go and instead is on Zoom calls online with conference calls between uh, certain community groups in New York City or he's just outright not playing and choosing not to play against the Milwaukee Bucks as a Celtic in that playoff series in 2019, I believe it was. Kyrie Irving, or 2018 maybe, Kyrie Irving has just consistently quit on his teams that he's played for. The Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron James, quit. The Boston Celtics, by year two, quit. The Brooklyn Nets, by year three, quit. I guess technically year four, this is his fourth season in Brooklyn, but Kyrie Irving overall is a player that you cannot trust. And I don't agree with many of Colin Coward's takes. I think when I look at a lot of his takes, I feel like we're not always... I'd eye, especially with, about what he says about Daniel Jones. I don't really agree with him much ever about Daniel Jones. Uh, but one thing that he said the other day, which I agree with on his show, The Herd on Fox Sports, and that's FS1. But one thing that he said that I agreed with was that he said, Kyrie Irving is like a bad business partner. Uh, partner. If you're unreliable as a business partner and you're unreliable once and you show time after time that you're unreliable... How can you rely on that person and believe them and trust and trust them? How can they be trustworthy still to you? And for some reason, Kyrie Irving still gets the trust from other teams. I mean, if the Mavericks said, yes, we'll make that deal and not care about the Kyrie Irving situation of him always choosing to quit on teams, I mean, it shows a lot about Kyrie's talent. Because if he can consistently quit on teams, the teams will still take a chance on him. I mean, that's impressive on its own. That's impressive on its own that teams will still take a chance on him. He's still one of the most talented players in the NBA, one of the most talented point guards in the NBA. He's very gifted with his ball handling skills. He's a scorer. I mean, he averaged, he's averaging 27.1 points per game this year in 40 games played. In his Brooklyn Nets, four seasons, he averaged 27.4, 26.9, 27.4, and 27.1 points per game. So consistently in four years, 27 points per game. And if you look at what he's doing shooting-wise, 39% from three, 40% from three, 42% from three, and 37% from three in his four years. Kyrie Irving's a good player. I mean, you can't deny his talent. Very talented player. But I think the risk of adding him to your locker room and also the risk of having him under contract and not knowing what you're going to get out of him and when he's going to quit, because it's not if Kyrie Irving's going to quit. He will quit. It's when Kyrie Irving will quit on your franchise. He did it on the Celtics, as I said, did it on the Cavs, and he did it on the Brooklyn Nets as well. Kyrie Irving will consistently always quit on you. And that's why I worry. How can you trust Kyrie Irving? I mean, the Dallas Mavericks, Mark Cuban must have signed off on that deal. Luka Doncic, superstar in the Dallas Mavericks, got asked, hey, are you okay with this deal? And he was obviously okay with it. The Mavericks went forward with it and made it happen. But how can you trust Kyrie Irving? How? I mean, there's always controversies around that guy. Just problems follow Kyrie Irving. And a lot of it's him doing it to himself. A lot of it's him doing it to himself. And that's the thing. I don't think you can deny Kyrie Irving's talent. He's still a great player. I mean, he's averaging 27 points per game on the year, shooting 48% from the floor, 
37% from three, five rebounds, five assists with a steal per game and 0.8 blocks per game in 40 games played. But you never know what you're going to get out of him. You never know what you're going to get out of him. I mean, if you look at Kyrie Irving in his three years with the Brooklyn Nets, or four years, that is, three and a half seasons, he only played 74 games with Kevin Durant three and a half seasons. 74 games. And obviously there's reasons for that, right? Kevin Durant uh, tearing his Achilles and needing a year to rehab. Kyrie Irving's vaccine situation. Kyrie Irving being hurt. His leave of absence from the team uh, due to anti-Semitic comments. His suspension due to off-the-court issues. And other things around Kyrie Irving, and just like just choosing not to play and, and just not showing up to practice and showing up to games and not telling at the time head coach Steve Nash he's not going to go. He only played 74 games with Kevin Durant. They didn't even play a full season together in four seasons. Three and a half years, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving didn't play a full season together. So since joining the Brooklyn Nets in the 2019 offseason, they only played 74 games together. 74 games. And now you look at it, they made a lot of moves to try to build. This is the Brooklyn Nets. Joe Sy and Sean Mox made a lot of moves to build around Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Right? They made a lot of moves. And I'm going to break down a few of those right now. So all in all, right, let's, let's start with the timeline of the Brooklyn Nets since 2019. June of 2019, the Brooklyn Nets signed Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. January of 2021, so a year and a half later, the Brooklyn Nets trade a package to land James Harden from the Houston Rockets. A year and a month later, 13 months later, February 2022, James Harden is traded to the Philadelphia 76ers. Just a year after that, February of 2023, Kyrie Irving is traded to the Dallas Mavericks. So you get them signing Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in 2019, June of 2019, you trade for James Harden in January of 2021, who you end up moving in February of 2022. And then February of 2023, just a year later, Kyrie Irving is traded. So all in all, I mean, there's just never been a consistency with the Brooklyn Nets team. You just cannot trust a team with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And obviously, Durant's shown up to play. I don't really blame Durant for the reason the Nets have only gotten 74 games out of Durant and Kyrie, even though Durant has had his injuries. When Durant's healthy, he does show up to play. That's one thing you can say about Durant. When he's healthy, he does show up to play. As for Irving, that's not the same. The vaccine situation, the leave of absence, the anti-Semitic comments, giving him a suspension by the team. I mean, all in all, Kyrie Irving has created a lot of his own problems. And you look at Kyrie Irving, 74 games in that short era with the Brooklyn Nets in three and a half seasons. And it's not just Kevin Durant. I mean, obviously, yeah, there was a reason Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving only played 74 games together, and partly is to blame on Kevin Durant's injuries. But it's more to blame on Kyrie Irving. He only played 143 games of a possible 278 regular season games during his Brooklyn Nets tenure. He played barely half of his possible games played, potential games you could play, during his Brooklyn Nets tenure. He played 143 of a possible 278 regular season games. And Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant only played 74 games of a possible 206 games after that injury, uh, or since that injury that Kevin Durant uh, you know, had in that 2019 offseason. He ended up getting surgery on that and missing uh, that entire season in the 2019-2020 season. But all in all, 
They only played 74 of 206 games together after Kevin Durant returned from his Achilles injury. And obviously, yeah, you got to factor in the 72 games in the 2020 and 2021 season, which obviously that was shortened due to the pandemic. Uh, but all in all, 278 games Kyrie could have played in his tenure with the Nets. He only played 143. Out of the 206 games that Kevin Durant was healthy for after the Achilles injury with Kyrie Irving, he only played 74 games with Kevin Durant. And now you look at the tenure of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. They only played 10 games together. 10 games together in just about a year. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons played just 24 games together. 24 games. So you look at what the Nets have been since Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving joined them. Since the 2019-2020 season. Kyrie Irving, and I've said this now a million times, only played 74 games with Kevin Durant, right? They only played... They only won one playoff series together and had a 6-7 and seven playoff record when both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving played. They played 74 of a total 298 regular season games, meaning they only played just about a quarter of the games, 24.8% of possible regular season games together. And they had a 47-27 record in that 74-game stretch. So how can you look at that and say, yeah, we can trust Kyrie Irving? I mean, yes. You look at his stats, he's unreal. He's unreal. Kyrie Irving, his stats and his talent on the floor, yes, he's a very good player. And here's the thing, I don't think his talent, though, is the same level as the risk of having him on your team. I think he brings you down more than he brings you up. And Luka Doncic, a young player who wants the ball and likes to play a lot of ISO, Kyrie Irving likes to do the same thing. Even even though Doncic is having a great season, 33 points per game, shooting 50% from the floor, 35% from three, nine rebounds a game, eight assists, with one and a half steals and .5 blocks, I don't think they're going to be a great fit. I don't really like the mixture of Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. Mind you, Kyrie Irving's looking at a four-year, $198 million extension. He's a free agent at the end of this season. So that's what the Brooklyn Nets didn't want to give. They didn't want to give him the money. They didn't want to invest in Kyrie Irving anymore. And that's partly the reason that he requested a trade and ended up getting moved before this week's trade deadline coming up. And the NBA trade deadline coming up is just about a week away, or less than a week away, excuse me, by the end of this week, February 9th. So some guys on the move, I mean, considering the fact that who knows what the Brooklyn Nets are going to do with Kevin Durant. There was a report yesterday that Stephen A. Smith said the Celtics were looking in to Kevin Durant and could be potentially shopping Jalen Brown in a deal to land KD. I don't know if I believe in that as much. I mean, I think if you look at it, yes, Kevin Durant, unreal talent, right? And he, I think still he's a top three player in the NBA. And I don't think, though, he would fit on a team with Jason Tatum as well as most, would, as most people would think. You probably have a four-year window winning with Kevin Durant. Jalen Brown, maybe six to eight years if Jalen Brown were to stay and get an extension. But... We'll see what happens there, but I don't think Kevin Durant will be moved. I think he will be staying with the Brooklyn Nets and maybe be moved in the offseason. I mean, Rudy Gobert brought the NBA trade market all the way up with the deal that he got traded from the Utah Jazz to the Minnesota Timberwolves. But then Kyrie Irving's deal kind of brought that down a little bit. And obviously, Kevin Durant would be getting traded for more than Kyrie Irving did, but we'll see what happens there. But as for the Brooklyn Nets, I don't think it's a bad deal at all. You get three draft picks. You get Spencer Dinwiddie. Back to the Brooklyn Nets where he thrived earlier in his career. Dinwiddie had a very good uh, tenure with the Brooklyn Nets before he was traded from the Brooklyn Nets uh, to the uh, Washington Wizards. But I don't mind 
the Spencer Dinwiddie move going back there. He was traded at one point uh, to, uh, from the Brooklyn Nets to the Washington Wizards in a five-team trade in August of 2021. He was a great player, though, with the Brooklyn Nets in his five seasons there. He averaged, let me see here, I'll tell you his stats. He averaged, oh, yeah, these are all advanced stats here. i got to get his regular stats. Here we go. He averaged 14.3 points per game, including 20.6 points per game in the 2019-2020 season, where he started 49 of 64 games played. Also shooting in that season very well uh, from the floor, or overall in his tenure with the Nets, shooting 42% from the floor, but shooting 33% from three. Uh, but one thing about about Dinwiddie is, you know what he's healthy, he's going to play, and he's going to give you everything he's got on the floor. He's going to give you everything he's got. And... I think one thing is, I think the Nets knew we're not going to really get much back for Kyrie if he has a year left of his deal or half a season left, and who knows if he's going to stay. And obviously, there's a lot of question marks around Kyrie Irving and whether or not he's going to show up and play. And I don't mean to roast Kyrie Irving. I don't. I think he's a very talented player, but knowing what he did to the Celtics, the Cavs, and now the Brooklyn Nets, you've got to think he's going to do the same to the Dallas Mavericks. You have to think that. And another thing is, the Dallas Mavericks, I mean, Kyrie Irving's not great on defense, and neither is Luka Doncic. I mean, Luka's better on defense than Kyrie Irving is, but... That team can be beaten in the playoffs. I mean, that, that team isn't that great defensively. And what the Brooklyn Nets are getting back, I mean, they're getting a guy in Spencer Dinwiddie who was averaging 18 points per game, shooting 82% from the free throw line. He's a very good free throw shooter over his career, shooting 45% from the floor and 41% from three on the year, averaging five assists, three rebounds, and also shooting a 55% effective field goal percentage on the year. And then the Nets are also getting Dorian Finney-Smith, um, who's been playing very well this season. He's 29 years old, averaging nine points per game, five rebounds, an assist per game, shooting 75% from the free throw line, and overall 42% from the floor and 36% from three. He started 40 of 40 games for the Mavericks this past season or during this season. And since the 2019-2020 season, he's played 251 games for the Mavericks, starting 248 games, getting 32 minutes a game. Scoring 10 points a game, 5.2 rebounds, 1.7 offensive rebounds per game. He helps you a little bit in the paint. Averaging a steal per game, half a block per game, uh, and also shooting 59% from two-point range, 38% from the three-point line, and 46% overall from the floor, averaging 72% from the free throw line. So you're getting a little bit of help uh, and a little bit of size. He's six foot seven. He can play the power forward in the small forward position. I think he's typically a power forward, at least it seemed like, in the Mavericks lineup, but I think if you look at it, the Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets, which I know now if you look at the Kevin Durant situation, I don't think the Brooklyn Nets are as much of a threat though now with Spencer Dinwiddie and Dory and Finley Smith in their lineup. So that's one last team I think the Celtics have to worry about. Even though they still have Kevin Durant on the Nets and the Nets are still a good team, I wouldn't worry as much talent-wise. Ben Simmons has had a bad season. I know the Nets would like to trade him, but there's no market for Ben Simmons around the market. Uh, there's no market or, or anyone that really wants him. There's no really uh, interest around the market for Ben Simmons. He's really had a bad season. I don't think this trade really helps. Even that helps the Brooklyn Nets, I still think, though, the Celtics have beat them. So it's one less team that get the Celtics have to worry about. And, and the reason why I'm, I'm going back to the Celtics here is Tim Loftus, probably the biggest fan of the show. Tim, you're an absolute legend. I appreciate you always listening in. He said, should Brad Stevens be looking for backup to Al Horford? Yes, I, I, I would agree with you there. And the main reason I would say that is not because Al Horford, I mean, he gets solid minutes in there, and same thing with Robert Williams when he's out there. But I don't know if you can really rely on Blake Griffin in the playoffs, even though when he does get minutes, he does give you all he's got. 
But you can't really rely on Robert Williams to stay healthy. And that's the main reason I would go get a backup big man, whether it's a four or a five. I think the Celtics should be looking into one. Even though Miles Turner is highly unlikely now to get traded, probably considering uh, the deal he just got uh, from the Indiana Pacers. He got a two-year, $58 million extension uh, just about a week or so ago now from the Indiana Pacers. Even though he still could be traded, I still don't see him getting moved, even though I'd like to see him on the Celtics. I think he's having too good of a season. And considering the Indiana Pacers are having as good of a year as as anyone thought, no one really thought the Pacers would be having a good season. I don't see them trading uh, a guy like Miles Turner. They're 25-30, and 30, uh, but overall 2-8 in their last 10 games. But if you take out those last 10 games, I mean, they were 23 uh, and 22 and you know just in the mix for a playoff run. And they're still a, technically a play-in team. So I don't think they're going to completely rip it up and trade Miles Turner. They might do that in the offseason, just hold on to Miles Turner. Uh, but right now you could get high value for him considering it could be two and a half seasons a team could go on a run with Miles Turner as a starting center. So we'll see, but I don't think Miles Turner will be on the move. I know that is a guy that got that garnered a lot of interest in the trade market over the summer, but Turner on the year averaged 2.4 blocks per game. 1.3 assists, 8.1 rebounds, shooting 39% from three, 54% from the floor, 17.7 rebounds per game in 46 games played. You look at his last six seasons for the Pacers, 2.7 blocks per game, 2.1, 3.4, 2.8, and 2.4 blocks per game. He is dominant on the defensive end. I would love to see him, whatever team I'm a fan of, whether you want to say I'm a Clippers fan, Celtics fan, Kings fan, one of those three teams, I would love to see Myos Turner on. And I don't think he's going to get moved, though. I mean, every single night, this guy can give you three or four blocks. Any given night, he can give you 10 rebounds and three or four blocks and 20 points. I think he's one of the most valuable players in the NBA. Right under the superstar level, I see him as a very good star. I think he's one of the most valuable players in the NBA because of what he can do on both ends of the floor. He can shoot three or six from three, give you 13 rebounds, give you four blocks, and score 20 points a night with two or three steals. Even though he's averaging only .6 steals per game, he can go off any given night for two or three steals or three or four blocks. But I do agree with you, Tim. I think the Celtics should go get a backup big man, and I'm sure they'll be in the market for that. Uh, hopefully, in the, you know, this trade deadline. There's only a couple days to go, but we'll see what happens there and if the Celtics were to go make a move for a guy. But anyways, that, that's my Kyrie Irving talk. I don't really believe as much in the Mavericks as most people do. I think Kyrie Irving, Luka Doncic, has a lot of talent together, just like I think Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant would be a lot of talent together. But I don't think Durant would gel as well with... Jason Tatum, as most people would think, just like I don't think Kyrie Irving's going to gel as well with Luka Doncic. But one thing about Kevin Durant is when he is on your team, he does show up and he gives you, gives you his all. And that's one thing you cannot get from Kyrie Irving. You don't know what you're going to get from Kyrie Irving. Is he, going to get, is he going to give you his all? I mean, you never know. You never know if Kyrie Irving's going to give you his all. And the Celtics are now with 38-16, hold the best record in the NBA, a 7-0-4 win percentage, the number one seed in the East, 6-4 in the last 10 games played. Then you get the Bucs, 37-17, winning nine of their last 10 games. They've won eight straight. And then you got the Western Conference. Some teams are struggling as of late. Uh, the Pelicans, I talked about them about a month ago now with my buddy Dylan. We were talking NBA playoffs or NFL playoffs just about two or three weeks ago. The Pelicans have won just two of their last 10 games. They're now the ninth seed in the West. The Clippers, eight and two in their last 10 games. They're starting to get going. 31-26 on the year, winning two games straight. Had a big win last night over the... Uh, Brooklyn Nets, which they were struggling actually at one point in that game. I was at the Bean Pot, so I wasn't really watching that entire Nets game, uh, Clippers game. I only tuned in for maybe a second. I, really, I was really just checking scores overall. Uh, but 
The Clippers outscored the Nets 33-28 to in the fourth quarter. The Clippers found themselves down, though, 118, or excuse me, they found themselves down 113 to 109 with 329 to go, down by four points. The Clippers went on an 11 to 3 run to close out the game, including some big shots uh, from Nick Batum. He had a driving, uh, a cutting layup, also hit a free throw in there as well. Reggie Jackson had a dunk. Paul George hit a free throw. Reggie Jackson had a huge steal as well in just about a minute to go. Uh, and then Kawhi Leonard played well as always in under three minutes to go, hitting a big three, two free throws. And the Clippers also got uh, a nice jump shot uh, with about three minutes to go from Paul George. Paul George had a very good night. 29 points, four rebounds, three assists, two steals. Shooting 10 to 20 from four, three to seven from three. The Clippers got 19 points from Vita Zubats, 12 rebounds, two assists, one block, and three steals. Reggie Jackson, very good night. 12, two, 12 points, two rebounds, two assists, and three steals. Terrence Mann, 12 points, nine rebounds. And then Nick Batum was unreal on the defensive glass. Nine rebound, uh, 11 rebounds to go along with nine points, three assists, a block, and shooting three of eight from the floor and one of four from three. Luke Kennard finally got back in the rotation last night, got 14 minutes of action, scoring three points with one steal, uh, and had a plus 12 rating, shooting one of four from three. Uh, wasn't his best night shooting, but he was a DNP at one point earlier last week. Robert Covington did not play in yesterday's game. Uh, John Wall is still out for that Clippers team. But the Clippers are finally getting going, winning eight of their last ten games. I couldn't be any happier. Uh, so that's a look at the landscape of the NBA uh, and what the standings look like across the NBA over the last few weeks. As for the number one seed in the West, the Denver Nuggets have been hot still all season, 37-17, and 6-4 right now in their last ten games. It looks like they're going to trade uh, point guard Bones Highland, though. That's all around the market that Bones Highland will be moved uh, at some point um, by tomorrow's or two days trade deadline from now. So 48 hours from now, he will be moved. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies have been shaky of their last 10 games. It's still the number two seed in the West, 32-21 and 21 on the year, but have won just two of their last 10 games, losing three in a row. Uh, and that's one team that, if you look at it all in all, they do have a lot of firepower, but um, have been cold as of late, and maybe they go make a move at the trade deadline to build around John Moran, get maybe one more piece around him that can score. Uh, as for Bones Highland, though, on the year, that's one guy that probably probably will be moved. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about that over the last few days. Uh, on the year, off the bench, uh, 42 games played. He's only started one game, so he's been consistently off the bench in 41 games. 12 points off the bench on the year, shooting 38% from three, 40% from the floor. Also averaging 1.8 defensive rebounds per game to go over two total rebounds, three assists, 0.7 steals, and 0.3 blocks. He can give you a good amount of uh, energy off the bench any given night. That's one guy if a team needs a backup point guard or shooting guard. He can play both, kind of a combo guard. Uh, they can go make a move for a guy like that. Uh, but we'll see where he gets moved by the trade deadline. So all in all, that's my NBA talk. Want to give a whole you know landscape of the NBA over the last week or so. Uh, talk about the Kyrie Irving trade. Uh, one thing is tonight LeBron James could be going to break the NBA regular season uh, point scoring title, which Kareem Abdul-Jabbar holds right now, which he would be at the Lakers game tonight. LeBron James is just 36 uh, points away from the title, which let me see, I want to make sure I'm exactly right here of where he's at. But tonight is that game. LeBron James will be going for the title. Uh, 36 points away from, from passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the NBA all-time leading scorer. Uh, he could do that tonight uh, against, I believe they are playing... Uh, the uh, Thunder, yes. The Lakers are home tonight. First, the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Lakers 
25 and 29 on the year. Oklahoma City Thunder, 25 and 28. The Thunder are 5 and 5 over their last 10. The Lakers are 5 and 5 as well over their last 10, losing their last game to the Pelicans, who, as I said, the Pelicans have won just two games in the last eight and at one point. Lost 10 games in a row before winning the last two. Uh, the Lakers somehow did lose them the other night in New Orleans, uh, losing that game by five on Saturday night. But they will be home tonight versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Lakers are six-and-a-half-point favorites. LeBron James on the year has been unreal, even though he's in year 20. Uh, let me see what LeBron James' season is. I believe it's year 20. I want to make sure I get that right, but... He had 20 for LeBron, and he's had such a historic career overall. I mean, that's, that's one thing is you can't deny LeBron's talent. You can't deny his talent. Yes, year 20 it is. Uh, year 20 for LeBron, and he's still averaging 30 points per game to go along with 0.9 steals per game, 8.5 rebounds, and 7.1 assists, shooting 76% from the free throw line, 59% from two-point range, 31% from three, 50.5% from the floor, and putting up 36.5 minutes per game overall. LeBron, overall in the year, or, or in the last two years, that is, I wanted to break down the stats, he averaged 30.3 30 points per game last year for the Lakers in his, in his 19th season in the NBA. And you look at LeBron right now, he's 38 years old. He's averaging 30 points per game over his last two seasons. With the Lakers, 30.2 points per game, shooting 70, uh, that is 60.7% for two-point range, 76% from the free throw line, 7.2 defensive rebounds per game, 8.3 total rebounds per game, 6.6 assists, and 1.1 steals per game to go with 0.8 blocks, shooting 33.9% from the three-point line over his last two seasons. I think LeBron James' two last seasons, his last two seasons, are two of his most impressive seasons of his entire career. And look at what he's been doing. Averaging 37 and 36 minutes per game over his last two seasons. 37.2 minutes per game over, and that was two seasons now, two seasons ago, not this season, but last season, was LeBron's highest total since the 2016-2017 season. And 36 and a half points per game is his highest, second highest total since the 2017-2018 season. And overall, 30.3 and 30 points per game are two of LeBron's four highest scoring seasons of his career. He averaged 30 points per game this season. He averaged 30 points per game in the 2007-2008 season. He averaged 30.3 points per game in the 30 uh, in the 2021-2022 season last year in his age 37 season. And then in his third season in the NBA at just 21 years old, averaged 31.4 points per game. So LeBron can go for the record tonight. Overall, the Lakers 25-29 on the year. They traded for Rui Hachimura last week from the Washington Wizards. And Hachimura, for them so far, has played, I think, a limited amount of games. He's only been there for about five games or so. Uh, but he's been playing decently for them. Six games played, four games started, 11 points per game. He's been averaging 6.2 rebounds with 0.5 steals, 0.5 assists, uh, and has also been shooting 46% from the floor, 52% from two-point range, and 31% from the three. Uh, one thing is that he's been struggling uh, at the free throw line uh, all season, averaging just 69% from the free throw line and 52% from the free throw line for the Lakers in just six games played. Uh, the Lakers did need a backup center, though, Anthony Davis, whenever, whenever Anthony Davis needs a rest. Uh, and Hachimura is more of a power forward, but he can play uh, a smaller five, even though he's six foot eight. He can play a smaller five for you. Uh, and he's now paired back up with Thomas Bryant, who he played uh, in Washington with for a couple seasons. 
Uh, he was with Washington from 2019 to 2022. And then you look at Thomas Bryant. He played with the Washington Wizards from 2018 uh, to 2022 as well. So played about three or four seasons in Washington with him uh, before going back to L.A. Started his career in L.A. That's Bryant. Started his career in L.A. Uh, in 2017-2018. And then just went back to the Lakers this year. Starting 25 or 40 games. Averaging 12 points per game. 6.9 rebounds. And averaging one uh, just about... Yeah, just under a steal per game, uh, or half a steal per game. 0.5 steals per game, just about, and 0.6 blocks per game, shooting 44% from three-point range, which is the best of his career. So that's a look at the NBA. Tonight could be the night LeBron breaks the record. And now I'm going to do a quick Super Bowl preview, which I'm going to do one later in the week. I think I'm going to do a full Super Bowl preview, uh, probably maybe Saturday. I want to do maybe a little bit a little bit of one tonight, but... Um, Maybe I'll do another one before the game Saturday and give my final thoughts and maybe all the guests come on with me uh, to give their talk uh, of the Super Bowl and what they think is going to happen. But all in all, right now, the Kansas City Chiefs are one-and-a-half point underdogs. Philly's favorite in this game by one-and-a-half points. Philly on the air, Kansas City both share the same record, 14-3. The Chiefs won the AFC Championship game over the Cincinnati Bengals, winning that game 23-20. They got a field goal uh, to win the game as time expired, or just under, before time expired, eight seconds to go. Got a 45-yard field goal. Uh, from Harrison Butker, winning the game 23-20. to Joseph Asai, a linebacker on the Bengals, who had a very good game uh, overall in the game, played very well. He was the best tackler on that team on the night. Uh, just struggled, though. Uh, he did have five total tackles uh, with two assisted tackles and two quarterback hits, which was number one on that Bengals defense. Had a very good game. Uh, Von Bell did lead that team in t- that led that team in tackles with seven. But Os- Asai had a very good game in Ended up trying to make a play on Patrick Mahomes, and Mahomes was scrambling out of bounds uh, just about midfield. Uh, Asai hit Mahomes as his right foot already hit out of bounds. Ends up drawing a penalty, and I don't blame Asai because when you're playing as quick as you are, you're trying to get Mahomes, keep Mahomes in bounds so the clock keeps running since the Kansas State Chiefs didn't have a timeout, and that's why they kicked a the field with eight seconds to go. You're trying to keep Mahomes in bounds and also... Uh, you know, give him a little bit of hit, and maybe if you're going to hit him, force him out of bounds uh, rather than trying to, you know, uh, let him get an extra yard or two, right? And that's the tough thing about defending. You don't want to let the runner get an extra yard, but you also at the same time don't want to hit him late and have him step out of bounds and draw a 15-yard penalty. And that's what happened. Tough penalty call, and that set up uh, the Kansas City Chiefs to win that game 23-20. Uh, overall in that game, Burroughs 26-41 passing with a touchdown, two picks. Not Burroughs' cleanest game. Not Joe Mixon's cleanest game either. Eight carries and 19 yards. Um, did not have a touchdown in that game. T. Higgins, though, did shine well in that game. Six catches, 83 yards with a touchdown on 10 targets. Uh, as for the Chiefs, Mahomes played very well. 326 passing yards and 29-43 passing. Did add in three carries at eight yards with two touchdowns passing and a 105.4 passer rating. Uh, Travis Kelsey, seven catches of 78 yards and a touchdown. And my boy, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, six catches on eight targets of 116 yards and a touchdown on the game with a long of 29, averaged 19.3 yards per catch and at 39 yards after the catch overall in the game. Really like what I've seen out of Marquez Valdez-Scantling considering Miko Hodman came back and then got hurt again. Kadarius Toney went down with an injury as well and Juju Smith-Schuster was hurt as well. And they were down to just Sky Moore. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Travis Kelsey, um, and uh, one other receiver, I believe. Uh, Kansas City was down to just the, the end of their receiving core. Uh, Kemp they had uh, as their you know last wide receiver on the depth chart. They really just had nothing to play with. They had Marcus Kemp, a 
Backup wideout, Marcos Elder Scantling and Sky Moore and Travis Kelsey ready to go. And it's Canaris Tony going down with an injury. And Marcos Elder Scantling being the only really healthy receiver left uh, that's played some snaps. I mean, Sky Moore got some snaps earlier in the year. He really had 13, 13 yards on three catches in the game. Someone had to step up, and that's what MVS did. One of my favorite receivers in the game. I love what I've seen at MVS in that game. Uh, I had a good feeling about MVS. I texted uh, my boy Eric Easy E. Uh, and the sports guru Mike Curley before that game, and I said, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, masterpiece soon. And that's just what it was. Six catches, 116 yards, and a touchdown to Valdez-Scantling. Uh, and then in that other game, which I'm going to talk about the Eagles, they won uh, pretty handedly over the 49ers uh, in that game, 31-7. to uh, Kansas City was, uh, excuse me, Philadelphia was up 21-7 to at halftime. The 49ers really couldn't get anything going on offense, only had 164 yards total on offense with 97 passing yards. The Eagles only had 121 yards passing, but only needed that to win the game, 31-7. to uh, As for Brock Purdy, he was only 4-4 passing with 23 yards, and you look at that stat line, you'd say, how is he only 4-4 passing? Well, he tore a ligament in his elbow, and that prevents him from being able to throw, and all the throws he had were one or two yard screens. That offense couldn't get going at all. Even with Josh Johnson coming in as the backup quarterback journeyman in the NFL, who's played for probably 15 teams in the NFL, was 7 to 13, passing 74 yards. Uh, and Christian McCaffrey was in there at quarterback for some snaps, whether it was a handoff or he threw a pass, it was a, it, which was an incompletion as a Wildcat. Uh, he was in there, though, for some uh, some option plays. He was 15 of 84. Carries wise, uh, did add four. Carries for 22 yards, and McCaffrey had the solo touchdown uh, for the 49ers in the game with the Eagles dominating 31-7. You look at the Eagles' road to the playoffs, uh, down the playoffs, dominated the Giants 38-7, dominated the Niners 31-7, outscoring both teams 69-14, and as much as I want to say I want the Chiefs to win, I, that's my team I want to win because I really can't root for the Eagles, even though Easy is my boy, can't root for the Eagles as a Giants fan. I like Mahomes a lot as well, and I like MVS. I hope him, hopefully MVS has a good game. I think the Eagles are just so stacked on both sides of the ball. Offensive line, defensive line, pass rush, secondary, skill players. Jalen Hurts is having a very good year. And even though Jalen Hurts is looking for $50 million a year, I don't think he's worth $50 million a year. I think he's worth maybe around 40 tops. He's looking for around 50. Jalen Hurts had a very good season. I think it's going to be a very good game. I'm going to give a full prediction and a preview of it later in the week, maybe Saturday in a podcast upload. I think what this game is going to come down to is who has the ball last, probably. And as of right now, I'd go with the Eagles winning this game 31-27. Uh, I think the Chiefs will keep it close. I think Travis Kelsey is a very good game. But with the question marks around the 49ers, out of the 49ers, around the Chiefs, and if they're healthy, and that's one thing with the Chiefs is you don't know if these guys are healthy. I mean, these guys are playing banged up. Their receivers are going to all still be banged up uh, going into this game. On uh, Sunday night, which this game's at 640 or 635, that is his kickoff. Uh, let me get the Chiefs injuries uh, and see who's been practicing as of late. But that's one thing I worry about is their receiving core. And Lane Johnson is ready to go for the Eagles. So even though the Eagles have had their injuries, starting tackle, Lane Johnson will be ready to go against the Chiefs. I just read that now. Uh, Patrick Mahomes' ankle is doing a lot better. He's feeling a lot better. and He's ready to go. Um, this is what Patrick Mahomes said on his ankle. So there you have it. That was Mahomes talking right there, which I know it's not going to pick up on the Spotify recording, but you guys heard it live on air. He said in the quote, the Eagles getting better and better and rest is going to help out a ton. The Eagles got a couple of fast guys on their team as well, which he was referencing to the Bengals linebacker core, which he obviously had a, that run that he had to go out of bounds and he scrambled to the outside. He showed a little bit of speed on that play. He said, so I might have to pass that miles per hour this week to get away from the 
Chiefs, uh, or excuse me, the Eagles uh, pass rush there when he gets around the outside. But it looks like there's going to be still some injuries uh, for the Chiefs. It looks like Miko Hardman wants to play, but is still listed as doubtful uh, for this game. Uh, And that's one thing that the Chiefs really can't uh, beat is all these injuries. Uh, and even though today uh, Andy Reid said about Canaries, Tony, Juju Smith-Schuster, they practiced yesterday and they'll practice again today. They look good. We'll see how it goes the rest of the week. You're not 100% sure that Juju Smith-Schuster and Canaries, Tony, are going to play. And that's a worry. That's a worry. And also Andy Reid said about Legereus Sneed, uh, he cleared the concussion protocol and said about the Chiefs' injury situation, everybody practiced yesterday and it looks good. It looks like they'll do the same today. Who knows if Miko Hardman ready to go, though. I think that guy would still be listed as doubtful. As for the Eagles' injuries heading into the Super Bowl game, Jalen Hurts was banged up with a shoulder injury, but he really hasn't shown that at all too much. Uh, and then you had Lane Johnson with an injury. He'll be ready to go. Uh, Jalen Hurts will obviously probably uh, be even more healthy now. He's had two weeks off. He's probably going to be even more crisp now going into this game. Uh, one thing that Brandon Ayuk said, a wide receiver in the 49ers, said, the Eagles' defense will be exposed. And he said the 49ers couldn't expose the Phillies' defense because of quarterback injuries and that the Niners got extremely, or the Eagles, that is, got extremely lucky. He said, I don't know fully about that defense. Speaking about the Eagles' defense, they talk about them being a good defense. I'm not sure. I think this Kansas City pass game will expose what we thought we were going to expose, that meaning the Niners' offense thought they were going to expose. But for some unfortunate circumstances with Brock Purdy going down with a uh, UCL injury, they got extremely lucky. I would say that Chiefs, uh, excuse me, the uh, Eagles got extremely lucky. I think the Eagles earned the right to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, they had a very good run overall in the year. Uh, I think it's going to really come down to whoever has the ball last. And I'm only going to talk now for probably about a couple more minutes now uh, since I'm going to a sports analytics meeting. But overall, you look at these two offenses, right? You've got the Kansas City Chiefs who are number one in the NFL in passing offense, 297 passing yards per game, number one in the NFL, uh, number five in attempts per game. You look at the Eagles, averaging 241 passing yards per game, ninth best in the NFL, and they average 32 passing attempts per game, which is 23rd. Touchdowns per game overall on offense, uh, or points per game, that is. The Eagles, third best in NFL in the NFL points per game, 28.1. They're seventh best in points allowed per game, at 20 points per game. Pretty even with the Chiefs in points per game. The Eagles, or excuse me, the Chiefs average 29.2 points per game, which is number one in the NFL. And then you've got uh, the Kansas City Chiefs averaging 21.7 points allowed per game, which is 16th in the NFL. So the Chiefs, 29.2 points per game to the Eagles, 28.1, first to third between those two teams respectively. And then points allowed per game, 21.7 allowed uh, for the Chiefs per game, which is 16th best. And then you've got the Eagles with the seventh best defense in points per game allowed, averaging 20.2 points per game. But I think it's going to come out to pass rush. And these are the two best pass rushes in the NFL overall in sacks. The Chiefs, second best pass rush in the NFL with 55 sacks on the year. The Eagles, 70 sacks overall on the year. 70 sacks allowed, or 70 sacks total overall on the year, which is number one in the NFL. And the Chiefs' offensive line is very good, though. They're still really good. They only gave up 26 sacks overall, which is third best in the NFL on the season. As for the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line, even though it's very talented, they still get 44 sacks on the year, and that's kind of what happens with the mobile quarterback, and you have option plays where it could be run-pass option. You do to give up some sacks when the quarterback holds on to it longer since he can evade the rush a little bit easier than a more you know pocket-passing quarterback like Tom Brady could. Uh, but 
overall in this game, I think it's going to come down to who has the ball last. And both teams have weaknesses and strengths. I think the Chiefs have, uh, you know, strength and obviously Patrick Williams being their quarterback, a very good quarterback, still the, the, the best quarterback in the NFL. And then you look at the Eagles. I mean, they're really good all around. They're good all around, right? And the Chiefs are as well. I mean, they both have very good coaching uh, staffs. Obviously, Nick Sirianni getting to the Super Bowl in just his second season. He was a former offensive assistant uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, or for the Philadelphia, or for the Kansas City Chiefs, that is, and then you got Andy Reid, who is the former head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. Both those teams uh, having, you know, head coaches that coached for that pre, you know, for that their their opponent in the past. So you got Andy Reid, former head coach of the Eagles, then you got Nick Sirianni, former offensive assistant uh, for the Chiefs as the Eagles head coach, uh, which is a pretty interesting storyline. But I think it could come down to the run game, and if you look at the. Uh, the run, uh, run yards, you know, rushing yards per game for either team. The Chiefs were 20th in the NFL in rushing yards per game. The Eagles 147. And that's because they have Jalen Hurts who can do, you know, those option plays, run to the outside. They can go end-arounds, double end-around fakes. They can really open up their playbook wide. And I think that's why I, this Eagles team is dangerous. I'm rooting for the Chiefs to win this game. And I'm with you, Tim. I'm not rooting for the Eagles to win. But I think the Eagles win this game. I, I, I'm rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the Eagles win this game 31-27. to I think it comes down to the fourth quarter. I think the Eagles and the Chiefs are pretty close at halftime. I think it's a 17-14 game at half. And then at the end of the game, maybe you see a Jalen Hurts touchdown with about a minute to go, maybe two minutes to go. It's my prediction as of now with the Eagles winning the game 31-27. to That's not what I want to happen. That's just what I think is going to happen. If I am going to go by what I want to happen, I'm going to say Chiefs winning 34-21. to that's what I want to have, 34-24. That's what I want to happen, just because I can't roof the Eagles since they beat the Giants and, you know, they're a Giants rival. But I wish, you know, the best of both teams. Obviously, I'm rooting for a good game, and I love Patrick Mahomes. I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL, and I don't really know how you can't root for a guy like Mahomes. I think you have to respect greatness. And I talked about this yesterday with Tom Brady. Tom Brady I was never a fan of when he was on the Patriots. Then he went to the Bucs, and I respected greatness. Steph Curry I was never the biggest fan of when he was compared to LeBron James for all those years. And then what happened? I respected his greatness. Taylor Swift and my siblings. I have a couple of siblings that are big fans of Taylor Swift. And overall, my whole life, I was never the biggest Taylor Swift fan, but over the last year or so, respected some greatness. You have to respect her greatness. And it's not some. She has a lot of greatness. You have to respect greatness and what she does and, and obviously has been very talented and doing big things in the music industry for years now. Similar to Harry Styles. And I always thought One Direction was good, but similar to Harry Styles, where Harry Styles is dominating the music industry right now. And even though a lot of people weren't the biggest One Direction fans when they were around, I know a lot of girls are One Direction fans, but overall, you know, uh, you know, a lot of guys weren't One Direction fans. I think you'd respect their talent and what they're able to do in the music industry. Very successful and talented artists, and that's why Harry Styles, you have to respect greatness. And I always respected One Direction and Taylor Swift. Uh, One Direction and Harry Styles. But Taylor Swift, Steph Curry, and uh, Taylor Swift, Steph Curry, and Tom Brady. Three examples right there. I never really respected that much. Which, it's our respect thing, right? You respect what they do. But I was never a fan of them, right? I never said, oh, you know, I, 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 I'm a fan of their greatness. That's why I respect them. No, I just, you know, I knew they were good at what they do, but I never really was as big a fan. But now I like Taylor Swift. Now I like Tom Brady. Now I like Steph Curry. Because you have, to, you have to respect greatness. At the end of the day, just like LeBron James. If you're not a LeBron James fan, I get that. Yeah, I mean, he's had his, you know, series with the Celtics, and obviously it's a little bit of a rivalry. He was with the Cavs, and now obviously uh, in his years in Miami as well, uh, playing against the Celtics a lot in the playoffs. But you have to respect greatness. I think when LeBron James is out of the league, the NBA will never be the same. 
Just like now with the NBA, with the NFL, Tom Brady retiring, the NFL will never be the same. Just like if Aaron Rodgers retires, because he's going to take the next four days in, in, uh, to reflect on whether or not he wants to come back in the NFL. And I'm going to read you a quote that he said about his future in the NFL in just a second. But you never know what you're going to get in the future after your legends leave. When Tom Brady leaves, Aaron Rodgers, what's the NFL going to be like? And according to Aaron Rodgers, said today on the Pat McAfee show, he's going to go on a darkness, darkness retreat in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be a four days, complete darkness retreat, just him and his, in a little house, he said. He said, I've had plenty of friends who've done it and they've found profound experiences. And he expects a decision after that of whether or not he believes he'll be going back for another season in the NFL. And I don't think it's going to be with the Green Bay Packers. I think it could be with the New York Jets, could be the Las Vegas Raiders. Who knows, could be the San Francisco 49ers. I do not think he'll be back uh, with the Green Bay Packers, though, if he were to go back uh, to uh, playing for another year in the NFL. But I think you have to respect greatness. At the end of the day, you have to respect greatness. Taylor Swift, Tom Brady, Harry Styles, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, there's a lot of examples. Aaron Rodgers doesn't win the big games. I always have the Packers winning big games. I know he doesn't win the big games. He only has one Super Bowl. But overall, Aaron Rodgers is a very talented quarterback, and I think you have to respect that. And I'm with you, Tim here. Tim, biggest fan of the show. I appreciate you always listening in. He said, go Mahomes, Kansas City all the way. He's got the Chiefs winning 33-20. to Similar to my prediction, I like the Chiefs winning 34-24. I wanted the Chiefs to win in my prediction. I want the Chiefs to win, but if I had to predict what I think is going to happen, I went with the Eagles, unfortunately, winning 31-27. But if I am basing it off what I want to happen, 34-24 Kansas City, similar to 33-20, uh, which Tim has. He said Andy Reid is an amazing coach. Amazing coach, great guy as well. Great guy as well. I love that State Farm commercial where... He's taking the shoppy and doing the mustaches on Patrick Mahomes' face. Uh, and, you know, Patrick Mahomes said it happened again. And, and, and then you got Andy Reid saying, you know, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Very funny commercial. Obviously has a personality as well. Uh, and he also commented as well. You had Tim commenting on Aaron Rodgers that he can retire, which I wouldn't mind Aaron Rodgers retiring just because uh, he's given, uh, you know, this now, what, two or three seasons now of figuring out whether or not he wants to play. I think... At the end of the day, you're going to have to make that decision. I, I think he likes being in the media a lot, being you know the center of attention. And even though I like Aaron Rodgers a lot as a quarterback, I think he's very talented, you can't deny he loves being in the media and being the center of attention. You can't deny that. So we'll see what happens with Aaron Rodgers in the future. I think he will probably play one more season. Uh, but I think you have to respect greatness. You have to respect greatness. Tom Brady, LeBron James, Taylor Swift, whatever it may be, along those lines of Steph Curry, Harry Styles, Adele, I don't know, we can keep naming artists, right? And, and all those are well-respected artists, right? Adele's very respected. Steph Curry's very respected. Not too many people are going to hate on either one of those individuals. But there's a lot of hate LeBron James gets. Taylor Swift, a lot of hate, uh, you know, towards both of those. You know, LeBron James heavily. Tom Brady, a lot of hate towards. But I think you have to spec greatness at the end of the day. Because when these guys and these girls and these people aren't left and what they're doing, you know, and, and, and done with football, whether it may be Tom Brady being done in the NFL or it's Steph Curry being done in the NBA or LeBron James being done with basketball after 20-plus years. Now this is his 20th season. Sports, music, whatever they are doing, it, it, those industries are not going to be the same without them. They left a mark on those industries that are going to be everlasting. I don't think you can say that those industries, whether it be sports with, with Tom Brady being gone, that those will be the same without those. And that's why I respect them. That's why I think you have to respect greatness. Whether or not you like Tom Brady, whether or not you like Eli Manning. I know a lot of Patriots fans hate Eli Manning and they don't respect him. But you got to respect Eli Manning going up against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, winning two Super Bowls and throwing that pass to Mario Manning here, which in my eyes is the best pass in NFL history. I think if you look at it, a lot of times people don't respect greatness or respect 
clutch plays by plays because either the team lost or they lost a bet. The team lost, or the team lost, as I said, the team lost against that player, or they, they lost a bet, or they just aren't a fan of that player overall because they're better than you know they're over, you know let's say I don't know they don't like Tom Brady because their quarterback is Mitch Trubisky I don't know that's an example like or another example I mean I'll give you a better one or you're a Jets fan or a Dolphins fan which in in for years you had to deal with you know Mark Sanchez as your quarterback and with that quarterback carousel for the Jets over the years with Sam Donald and now Zach Wilson and Mark Sanchez over the years, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you had to deal with the quarterback carousel. There's a lot of reasons why people don't respect a lot of these athletes, but I think at the end of the day, you have to respect greatness. That's why I've been doing that. I've been respecting greatness. I've been respecting talent for a long time, right? I mean, as a sports fan, you always have to give props to these athletes and, and musicians, whatever it may be, for getting to where they got to in the music industry, in the sports industry, because it's not easy to do that. It's not easy to rise in any industry. Whether or not you're a famous person, you know, a musician, an artist, uh, a rapper, a, a basketball player, baseball player, a writer, whatever it may be, your famous poet, whatever it may be, it's hard to be, you know, at the top of any industry. In sales, in business, it's hard to be at the top of any industry, right? And I think that's why you have to respect talent. And even though I always thought Steph Curry's a very good player, I never was a fan of him. But now I find myself being a fan of all these people and players that are at the top of their respective industries because it's not easy to get there and what they're doing uh, is not everlasting. LeBron James will not be playing basketball forever and I think that's why you have to respect him. And that's why tonight, which if he hits his 36 points and that'll be live on TNT, if you were to get 36 points to pass Kareem for the all-time NBA in, in leading scoring and all-time points in the NBA, that's something you have to respect. That's something you have to respect. I mean, LeBron James has been one of the best in the NBA, if not the best, in each of his 20 seasons in the NBA over his career. And he's 38 years old right now. He's 38 years old. And where does he stand right now? Fourth in all-time assists in the NBA and second all-time in points. Second all-time in points and could pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar tonight for all-time in NBA scoring in points, which is nuts, which is nuts. LeBron James could pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar tonight. And Kareem will be live there in the game, at the game tonight against the Oklahoma City Thunder. So should be a fun game to watch. As my Super Bowl predictions, I, did, I know I went off on a tangent a little bit there of what I was talking about, but um, as for what I think is going to happen, I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles winning the game 31-27. I think the Eagles all around are too dominant on both sides of the ball, and they're just rolling right now, winning both of their playoff games 69-14. to They're very well rested. A lot of guys are healthy besides Lane Johnson. Ozzie Jamin Hurts has found some health as well over the last uh, couple weeks now. Didn't have to really throw too much in that game against the Niners with them winning that game 31-7. to It's pretty impressive even that the Giants... You know, got thirty one, uh, thirty. You know, got seven points, and the eagle or uh, reverse. Excuse me. It's impressive that the Niners got seven points, considering you know at the end of the day, it looked like their offense couldn't move the ball against a college team. Which I, I never liked the argument that people said. You know, the worst college or the worst NFL team could beat the best college team, or the best college team could beat the best or worst NFL team. There's no college team, whether it's the best college team playing the worst NFL team. That's not going to be possible. I, you know, I don't care who the quarterback is in the NFL team. The NFL guys playing against NFL players is a lot better competition than playing in college since you're playing in the NFL against 11 on 11 against guys that are all made in, in, in the NFL. College is not the same thing. Uh, and the reason why I brought that point up is because the line I just said, that the 49ers looked like they couldn't move the ball against Georgia. They couldn't move the ball against Tennessee the way they were playing against the Eagles uh, just about uh, you know two Sundays ago now in the NFC Championship. But... All in all, um, 
The Eagles didn't have to throw the ball much in that game. They're well-rested. I think they have a lot of momentum going into this game. But as I said, you cannot doubt uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid, great coach, as Tim pointed out. I think one of the best in the NFL. I think Sean McVay, that's my boy, which i got to still talk about Sean McVay in some episode. I have some stats about how great of a coach he is and how much he's transformed the NFL and, and transformed the Los Angeles Rams from when they were with the St. Louis Rams to one year with the L.A. Rams that he comes in. They were, with, they were the L.A. Rams for one year with Jim Fisher, and then McVay came in and transformed the game. And that's something I always respect Sean McVay for what he does as well. He's a great coach. But point being is Andy Reid, one of the best coaches in the business, and you can't really put anything past him as well. So I'm excited what, to see what happens in the game on Sunday. As of right now, I'm going to go 31-27 with uh, Patrick Mahomes losing a close one in the Kansas City Chiefs falling in the Super Bowl. But uh, Patrick Mahomes could add on to his greatness and his legacy and win his second Super Bowl ring. Uh, and if you look at it, Patrick Mahomes is only in his sixth season in the NFL. So Patrick Mahomes overall has been a lead his entire career. But if you look at what he's done in just six seasons in the NFL, which six seasons starting, that is, since well, it was five seasons starting, six seasons overall in the NFL, he's accomplished one Super Bowl time champion, one-time Super Bowl MVP, that was Super Bowl 54, two-time All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, and you look at what he did this year in the NFL, 41 touchdowns with 12 picks, uh, was first-team All-Pro, averaging 308.8 yards per game, uh, with 5,250 passing yards, which actually led uh, the NFL. So very impressive season for Patrick Mahomes, and is coming off a very good game against the Cincinnati Bengals, which who had a pretty good defense. So I think it'll be a close game, but I'm going to go with the Eagles winning 31-27. Anyways, that does conclude this episode. I will be back live on air here on WZBC next Tuesday night from 7 to 8. That'll be Valentine's Day, actually. So uh, if you guys aren't going out to date or you're going out to dinner late or going out to dinner early, maybe you'll tune in. If not, you'll catch it on Spotify if you can. No worries if not. Anyways, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. Shout out really quick to Tim Loftus, the whole Loftus family. Tim, my parents, my sister Miros had a blast on Friday night going out to dinner with you guys. One of my favorite... Uh, dinners I've gone on, you know, I've gone out to dinner now a few times the last few weeks, so that was my favorite one. Uh, I had a great time with you guys, uh, since, you know, it just came together last minute, uh, it was a blast. So thank you guys for going to dinner. I had a blast there. Uh, it's always a pleasure hanging out with you guys. And I can't wait for the Cape this summer. We don't need the warm weather for us to be able to hang out. Tim knows that. Uh, you know, we, we don't got to wait till the Cape, you know, to, to, to combine the Mayor and Loftus family, uh, and get them back together. Um, but anyways... Shout out to the Loftus family, shout out to the Keith family, shout out to Auntie Lisa for always listening, shout out to my whole, uh, my whole family, all my siblings, thank you guys for listening, my parents as well, shout out to the O'Malley family, uh, thank you guys always for listening, shout out to E, the sports guru, uh, and everyone else that always listens in, I appreciate it, uh, and it's always a blast having you guys listen in. So, hopefully have Tim on here maybe next week to talk things sports, maybe have my boy Matt come on as well, uh, he came on to the playbook and Joey and Zach last year to talk about the NBA playoffs. And brought a ton of insight in. Maybe we'll have him come in next week uh, to talk about uh, the NBA. Maybe talk about the Super Bowl and give a recap of what happened there. But anyways, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one. Stay safe. Stay well. And enjoy the Super Bowl this weekend. As I said, this Sunday, 6.35 p.m. Uh, and enjoy uh, the rest of your week. And I will see you guys next Tuesday. And I will be uploading an episode Probably right before the Super Bowl, maybe do a quick preview of the Super Bowl, maybe the guest um, before then. But thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.